0: Longest-running motorsport magazine show. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One. Sports car and endurance racing. Rallying. Touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport.
1: Well, I was kind of homing for a bit of music there. Uh, however... We are just after 8 o'clock, so I'll start talking. Uh, This is John Hindorf, and we are on Midweek Motorsport. This is the IMSA Special Edition uh, from the Haggerty Global Broadcast Centre. As we're getting ready... ah, And as if by magic, the music appears. Uh, This is our IMSA Special Edition as we are getting ready for the Rolex 24 Daytona. Wow, what a weekend we had last weekend with the Raw. We'll look back over that. Adam will be joining us shortly to give us all of the details from what we've already seen and what we can expect. We've got a Wednesday tonight. Hello, everybody, by the way. Uh, That is packed. Uh, Already had the Mazda, the Idemitsu Mazda MX-5 preview on uh, RS2 and RS1 coming up tonight. We've got historic racing news following this programme on RS1. And uh, then at 11 o'clock, if you go to RS2, we've got the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Jeremy and Shea staying on. We're all doing triple time uh, this evening because there's so much happening as we head towards the Rolex Daytona 24 Hours you probably heard, and if you haven't, it's already on imsaradio.com. imsaradio.com, by the way, is the new place for all of our IMSA content. Uh, If you didn't hear our WeatherTech SportsCar Championship preview, that happened last night, and it's there to download. We have got content on content on content. And if you stay on RS1 after historic racing news and you haven't heard the Mazda, preview you can hear that as well we are spreading ourselves very thin across the network tonight tim gray is up in london hello tim you've been working just as hard as we have um Harder. but on a pa- hard oh, no no yes <laughs> re- uh,
2: earlier on i was doing two shows at once
1: oh really yes that's very clever yeah. even i can't work out how to do that on a pack program tonight, we have what?
2: Oh, we have all the usual features. We have a brand new feature that you will love um, because it's got. You say uh, that
1: so confidently. It's Quite got some often, lovely
2: nineteen eighties theme music.
1: You say that we so love confidently, the 80s. and yet so often, all you do with your new features is frustrate me because I'm absolutely no good at them.
2: Uh, it's not a quiz-based one, so you'll be fine. Shay says she wasn't alive in the eighties, so she needs to ask her <laughs> mum. Although her mum probably won't help because uh, she wasn't in the right country.
1: Um, if her mum was doing the 80s right, and trust me, I think Diane was, she won't remember the 80s. Indeed. <laughs> and she, you can tell your mum <laughs> I, I
2: think Shay's getting all embarrassed now.
1: She doesn't need to um, know
2: what her mum was like.
1: Shall we move on right now?
2: We've got a big interview with uh, Laura Wontrop-Clausen, who is the new head of sports car everything at uh, Chevrolet and Corvette and Cadillac. Uh, We have some uh, WRC news. We have, because of course, uh, Rally Monte Carlo took place at the weekend. Uh, We have Nick Damon will be here in the second uh, half of the show. Uh, Fourth quarter, really, of the show. Uh, with some Formula One news um, and lots,
0: lots more. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport.
2: And uh, because of uh, the week that it is, we're going to start with some sports car news uh, and specifically some North American sports car news. And I'm pleased to say that the very red faced Shay Adam joins us live. Good evening, Shay.
3: Hello, Tim.
2: Ah that works at last. Uh so yesterday Acura Motorsports confirmed it will continue to compete in the top category of the IMSA WeatherTech SportsCar Championship in 2023 under the new Le Mans Daytona hybrid LMDH format.
3: Yes, in what was a pretty brief statement so they didn't want to elaborate too much onto brief, what it the very car was. Like they said nothing any, more than uh, that. No, no, it was basically yes, we are going to be in the top category and that's it um it's exciting news nonetheless it's our third different manufacturer to announce for the top category so lmdh very excited that acura finally out of the bag that we can talk about that because it's long been suspected but again one of those situations that makes us think huh i wonder who they're going to have in their driving stable when they get to lmdh uh,
2: well indeed um we did uh speak to acura and uh say Can we have someone to talk to about this? And uh, at the moment, they have uh, nothing that they want to add to that. So this is basically just a placeholder to make people uh, not forget that Acura are a force to be reckoned with in sports car racing. uh, And in due course, later this year, we'll get uh, a little bit more.
3: Yeah, it's it's a nice little... um thing to whet the appetite and to keep our attention towards acura particularly with the rolex 24 hours of daytona coming up this week and considering that they have two cars in a seven car class whereas cadillac has double their presence so uh yeah but it is it is good news and i'm glad that they're announcing this at a point in time where there's nothing else that's been announced that would they would be detracting from if that makes any sense they picked a good time to do it
2: now you mentioned drivers uh because they didn't Who do we think we might see?
3: Um, Well, they've got a solid lineup this year in terms of Dane Cameron and Olivier Pla for Meyer shank Racing and then Ricky Taylor and Philippe Albuquerque for uh, Wayne Taylor Racing or Connick Minolta as it is on the entry list. Um, I would see no reason that those four guys wouldn't continue on with the team except by at that point Olivier might be Aging out of the bracket, I hate to even say that because Olivier Plot doesn't ever slow down. Um, But other than that, I can't really picture who they would want to have in their car. Um, Maybe Mario Farmbacher. He's been an Acura driver for a little while now, but not so much with the prototype experience. You have to go well back before his uh, open-wheel days. But they do have a lot of handy drivers, do Acura and Honda, under their uh, umbrella.
2: Uh, well, one team that has announced uh, some drivers this week is Alpine in the FIA World Endurance Championship. Uh, John is back with us, I believe. Hello. Mm. Yeah, possibly not. Or Robot John. Ro- Robot John is back with us. We'll try that again a little bit later. Uh, so, Shay, your thoughts on uh, Nicolas Lapierre and Mathieu Vasseur?
3: Very good selections. Uh, they're clearly sticking to a country as they brought on two more French drivers to that responsibility. But Matthew is a, a driver of Axvier who's been very impressive for quite some time, got a bit of a rocky start as far as sports car racing was concerned. Um, and particularly at Le Mans, he didn't make friends with Risi uh, quite a few years ago, but ever since then has found quite a bit of success. He was impressive running at the 12 Hours of Bathurst a couple of years ago in an Aston Martin GT car. He's been very impressive running in Cadillac with Wayne Taylor Racing. Uh, a few years ago at Sebring, I seem to remember, or um, Petit Le Mans it was. And he'll be running in the Rolex this weekend too. Nico Lapierre is the driver that you want to have in your car. If you're a team looking for a little bit of experience, a stable pair of hands, he is everything you could ask for and more.
2: And uh, the other big sports car news uh, is Oracle related. Uh and this is something that I find very exciting because I always love new technology. Oracle, uh, in conjunction with Red Bull, are going to design a hydrogen class uh, car for Le Mans in 2024.
3: Yes, which is another one of those announcements that you get, and it's sort of a, a little bit of a placeholder because it's not going to be, we're not going to be seeing pictures of the car, or renderings, or anything of that sort for quite some time. But it is still a carrot to be dangled out in front to uh, give people a lot of reason to be excitement. The Mission 24, which is what the class is, um, they are a a different class of cars because Hydrogen, obviously, we're not equipped yet to run those kind of cars at Le Mans, but with the new pit lane, the, the way that it's been talked about for so many years now, they have been planning for that. Red Bull have a very strong... Uh, background in design we all know that we've all been fans of formula one so it's an intriguing prospect for sure
2: well Hugh shonak who's uh, president of the Orca group said we're proud that the automobile club de l'ouest has chosen us to work alongside redwood advanced technologies on this ambitious forward-looking project and we're excited to be working with the other project partners among them uh, plastic omnium and green gt uh, collaboration is vital if we to succeed in introducing a hydrogen class at the 2024 24 Hours of Le Mans. Oracle enjoys challenges and pioneering change, and we can fully express our talents in such an engrossing enterprise. And Christian Horner, the uh, CEO of Red Bull, said, uh, I'm delighted that Red Bull Advanced Technologies has been chosen by the ACO to develop the concept of a hydrogen-powered endurance racing car for Le Mans. Uh, We're well equipped to take on the challenge set by the ACO, having access to many of the tools used to design and develop the Red Bull Formula One car, along with significant experience on other cutting-edge vehicle programmes. The hydrogen class at Le Mans offers an exciting glimpse into the future uh, of sustainable motorsport and promises both to advance the use of hydrogen in transportation and also deliver exciting racing.
3: Well, if they're anywhere as good as designing cars as we know, Orica can be on its own and Red Bull can be in Formula One. We stand a very good prospect for 2024.
2: Uh, now, we saw the uh, first competitive action of the uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship at the weekend with the RAW, the Motel Pole Award 100, uh, which is not a race, it was a qualifying session.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Uh,
2: what did you learn?
3: Uh, well, we learned that there are some teams uh, who are quite dissatisfied with the games that they think the other teams are being played. Felipe Nasser and Pipo Durani who shared the 31 Whalen Engineering Cadillacs, actually come home first and share the pole position award because they get to start first in the race. They actually started second to last in category. They were the fastest car in the final session before the qualifying race, because I refuse to call it a qualifying session. Um, And they were moved to the back of the pack well, what was supposed to be the back of the pack because of the technical infringement. They then raced their way to the front. They were not the car that set the fastest lap time during the race, but that is not how qualifying was determined as it was a race. And as a matter of fact, only three, uh, well, three of the five classes were set uh, the pole positions by racing their way to the front as opposed to setting the fastest time in the course of the race. So our pole sitters will be the 31 Whelan Engineering Cadillac, for overall uh, LMP2, it was the 52 of PR1 Matheson. That's Ben Keating's second consecutive year on pole at Daytona. I'll be mentioning that set again in a second. The six for Milner uh, Motorsports in the LMP3 class. More on them later. In GTLM, it's the four Corvette of Nick Tandy, his sixth uh, pole posi- fourth pole position at Daytona in six years, the car that he shared with Alexander Sims for the qualifying race. And in GTD, it was Turner Motorsports getting the taco day, but they were not the fast. They were the fastest car, both on lap time and in terms of winning the race. But the sessions that didn't involve the race weren't broadcast. They weren't televised. There was no pictures or anything, so we couldn't keep track of them. Looking off what happened during those sessions, a couple of interesting points that should be um, noted: we did have. The four Corvette, which is the car that starts on the pole position, with a slight brake issue at the start of the first practice, that delayed them to the point where they didn't actually set a time in the first practice. It was shipping delays for Racing Team Netherland that didn't allow them to set a time in that first practice either. We had in the night practice quite a bit of drama as we've noted um, on the past shows about Wright motorsports there was an incident out on track for the era motorsport prototype where which brought out a red flag and coming into the pit lane to serve that red flag ryan hardwick actually dipped two wheels below the yellow line it made him lose control of the car and he veered off into the wall uh, Doing complete damage to that tub, actually. We're still waiting to find out if that car can be repaired for the Rolex. If not, they bought back the car that they had sold, Wright Motorsport. This is a year before to Black Swan Racing, fixed it up, managed to get it out for the qualifying race, and finished ninth in the qualifying session. So Wright Motorsport have already had a lot on their plate this weekend from the roar alone
1: yeah absolutely right and what goes around comes around here, does not it because um, you know that that was the car that was loaned or or given to uh, the guys at black swan and effectively it's gone back home which is <laughs> it came back home which is extraordinary um and and in fact right motorsport issues continue because uh, this is the show that we would normally be doing from our um uh, Hagerty Global Broadcast Centre overlooking the race, and and we've got cars out on track at the moment at Daytona, and and Ryan's had another issue.
3: Yeah, um, it was a big crash for Ryan Hardwick uh, coming out of the bus stop, turn seven, in the GT4 car, and I've been getting a lot of people on Twitter who are concerned about Patrick Long running in the Rolex, but this was a different car. This was actually the one that they were going to contend the mm. Michelin Pilot Challenge in. It was just over 28 minutes of red flag stoppage for Ryan. Uh, We're not going to speculate on anything at this point in time, have not yet received word from the team, although they are keeping us posted as to Ryan's condition. Um, But I did have a, a source at the track say that he got out of the car under his own power, so that is good. But we await further information as far as that. It does mean that Wright Motorsport has a second Porsche, severely damaged Porsche, to repair within the span of five days. And you've got to feel for those men and women working on those cars, not a lot of sleep happening in the Wright Motorsport garages.
1: Let's pick up some more news from the Raw in a moment. Kevin Payne expect your team looking forward to listening time tonight live tonight busy times with the news flooding in ahead of the weekend and he as I suspect many of you have done have downloaded and printed the spotter guide from Andy blockmar Spotterguides.com for that hello to Jeffrey Bell who's listening in tonight to Oliver Giles who is uh, studying for an exam this week weekend I cannot believe you've got a, an exam ...on the Rolex 24 weekend. He's completing case studies at the moment... ...but he will catch up uh, on the podcast. I, 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 that's just not right, is it? Not right at all. Uh, hello to uh, the Sim Racing Bar, stewards, Listening again live tonight. A practice taking in the GT Aston Martin round Daytona... ...in preparation for a one and a half hour... ...race department, R-Factor race this weekend... Blue fiend listening to the podcast, driving to Daytona this evening, loading the RV right now. Phil says, "I uh, my thoughts are all stateside at Daytona this weekend. Uh, wonder if there's been any news on Alex Zanardi's well-being. slow progress, Phil. And, and, and good to mention that actually, he had a great drive in the BMW, didn't he? A safe and entertaining race is what he's hoping for. Uh, and we all say here, here to that. Warm day in Florida. Uh, loving it at the moment. Tap, track temperature for the Pilot Challenge Practice 1. 79 Fahrenheit uh, for the air temperature, says Yoda's uncle. Ah, very nice. Very nice indeed. Hello to Brody, Back in the garage working on the 944. Interested to hear thoughts on accurate LMDH. Not much as you heard uh, earlier on. A placeholder, I think we were calling it. And in, in fairness, we, we've... Uh, I think Tim said this, but we, we've reached out to... Oh, sorry, that's a horrible. We've asked uh, Acura... You
2: are not one of the four tops. You do no. not reach out.
1: Reach out. Reach, oh, man, let's get that song playing. Um, I'll be there. We have spoken to Acura in the US... And when they've got more details to tell us, they have promised us they will tell us. Hello to Chris, uh, listening to the show. Um, He's uh, pottering in the study for a couple of hours. (laughs) Excellent. Ted the Toy Man, not finalising his trip, sadly. The Bath is 12 hours. But he is finalising the purchase of some land near the Bend Motorsport Park. Ted, I salute you. He teased us on
2: this a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? Yeah,
1: we need updates on this. I think we might have to get Ted on to find out where his land is. And I need some pictures as well. Mike Sargent has survived the i and Daytona 24. Looking forward to rooting for Jimmy Johnson in real life. No airfares from Jonathan Mayne, who's listening in. Uh, As is Serafina and Money. Lunch break at the Cube, taking an extended weekend for the track coverage, which starts tomorrow, of course. All of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship coverage, uh, uh, free practice sessions, effectively, are live. And we've got the whole race for you uh, as well. No EFAs F- for Simon Hoff or for uh, Davey Toobrews or for Michael Denny. Uh, also, hello to Jack Just Jack, with the hands. Uh, Victor Ellis, (laughs) no, no, we have to do that always with Jack. Nobody else gets it. Nobody else gets it. Victor Ellis, listening live for the first time in too long, listening on the way to the Ellis Girls' first week of lacrosse practice while I hit the school track for a run. Uh, 19 months post-cancer and 68.3 miles of a planned 13.50 already in the books. Victor, we wish you well, sir we wish you well look after yourself won't you jack martin tuning in tonight as is jesse and jason score and uh, also to sarah rigby who has joined us and to matt who's listening for the first time this year Uh, and looking forward to all of the previews the daytona preview is already on the imsa.com website uh, well done
2: Imza radiocom website
1: Imza radiocom website thank you uh, Tim uh, shall we continue with with imsa and uh, imsa scuttlebutt and and, uh, and 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 gossip
2: oh that's up to Shay. do you want to stay with that or do you want to go and come back Shay? I mean you're uh, not really whatever. going to go anywhere because uh, nope um You'd be doing the alternative story that we do in its place, regardless.
1: Well, we talked. We were talking about Ted the Toyman buying land near a track, share. I believe that Kenny a Bull has has bought some important real estate near another Australian track.
3: Four eight nine Conrad Street. Now, why does that address we sound at familiar? That. We exactly. looked at that. We tried to so- get the collective
1: to. To, to buy it between us
3: the 17 acre estate which has been in the same family for almost a century kenny habool owns it and i remember i was doing we've driven past homework. it oh multiple times over and but only in one direction, I'll tell you what, in always. One direction. He,
2: he will not have a problem with the fact that there's no mains power there will he no
3: no no, not an issue whatsoever, but it's one of those things that when you're doing homework on people and then you Google their name and then that comes up and I'm going, hang on a second, Kenny, why didn't you invite us over? Well, he only bought it in 2020, so, it, you know, we give him a bit of a pass. But the next time we do go to, to Bathurst and to Mount Panorama, parties at Kenny's house. Oh, yeah. We know where he lives.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Andy Blackmore says, sorry late at the party, is it okay if you start the show again? Andy, we'll have the the archive up for you um, as soon as possible. Uh, The the responsible adult who was sitting slightly further away from me than I'd, I'd Right, I like to be very close to the responsible adult, and when we do the show, I'm in the studio just and, out
2: of hitting distance,
1: and she isn't. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. no. I, I don't mind being in hitting, hitting distance because if I get hit, I know I've done something wrong. Dead simple. What? Work, like, work like that. The, the respon- responsible adult said, Can bull pay us pays to have purchased our retirement home. I'm, I'm gutted." Uh, Ted the Toyman, still on on uh, real estate, says, buying a quarter eight a block at Wellington Marina, 10 minutes drive from the Bend Motorsport Park. Mega. Ooh. Mega. Remember, if we were at Daytona and we were in our booth, the booth that we inaugurated from what was then Daytona Rising, and we did the first broadcast from... Eve would be up on the mezzanine level with a Nerf gun, so we are never out of hitting distance. And frankly, the worst thing that can happen is that she looks over the top of her spectacles at you and looks disappointed.
3: Oh, nope. I just shuddered. That went all the way down my spine. I I can feel it. Oh, please, no. Uh,
1: What else have we got from Daytona at the moment? Cars on track uh, at the moment. Are we back under green flags yet?
3: We are. We've got the um, Idemitsu MX-5, the Mazda MX-5 Cups out on track right now, and we have not seen seven of them, but 20 have been out turning laps. Our best time so far is a two minutes, 10.4, half a second clear of second place for Gresham Wagner over Selen Roland. Mm, So a good lap time so far. Um, but, yeah, we did have quite a bit of uh, interrupted running for the Michelin Pilot Challenge session. And I know a lot of teams are very upset about that. But they have to wait until tomorrow morning to get back out on track.
1: Um, our uh, Edimitsu, uh preview aired yesterday, but it's already available for download on IMSA Radio. That one isn't
2: yet, oh, will is it will be shortly.
1: Oh, all right. Sorry, Tim. I I, I apologise.
2: Uh, um, but it's on again. It's eleven o'clock on RS one.
1: Sorry, that was on tonight, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, that was on before we came on the air. Uh, uh, she and I were already talking um, this evening. It's all all been a very busy a busy week uh, this week. Um, and when's that back on tonight? Did you say? Sorry, Tim.
2: Eleven p.m. on RS one.
1: Right, smashing. Eleven p.m. on RS two
2: is the Michelin Pilot Challenge Preview.
1: Right.
4: And if you
2: haven't listened to the uh, Idemitsu Mazda MX-5 Cup presented by BF Goodrich Tyres Preview and you want to listen to both of those, stay with RS1 because you'll get the Michelin Pilot Challenge Preview immediately after.
1: Oh. You're very clever Tim.
2: I am. I think of everything.
1: <laughs> so we are multicasting at the moment in terms of the three channels on the RSL network, are we?
2: Yeah, if you, um, if you missed the Dubai 24 hours uh, a couple of weeks ago, that's just about to start on RS3. What, the whole thing? Yeah.
1: Oh, magnificent.
2: The, we're, we're nine minutes into the countdown to green.
1: I love it. At the moment, then it's Wagner, Roland, Pardes, Thomas, uh, Nunes, Pali, Piscatell. Yeah, we said in in our preview, don't expect Jason Piscatell to just drive away from this uh, from this field. He's in seventh at the moment and one point two seconds off the pace. I assume that- he's a younger oh.
2: brother, obviously. I haven't listened to that preview. No,
1: no, Justin Piscatell. That is the guy. Oh, that's the guy. Yes. Yeah. Paul, Paul, Paul Meister,
3: he was. Paul Meister, five mm. pole positions over the course of, what, a few races I seem to remember. Mm. But, and this is a big asterisk, no times from Michael Carter, Aaron Johnson, or Drake Kemper. So don't be handing out the trophies just yet.
1: Uh, look at Michael yeah, Carter was last champion. year's champion. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, and also, Gene Som um, is very, very... In fact, all of those guys. So what we've only had 20 cars out. See, this is just like us being in the in the Haggerty Global Broadcast Center and overlooking what's going on when we normally do this show from Daytona. Hello to Rob Chalmers. Been out on a training ride. He's saving the show for podcast uh, tomorrow. Uh, and uh, <laughs> apparently, um, me singing was a bit of a, a shock uh, for some. For some people as well. Dave Olcock is time booked in front of the screen. And already have coffee and snacks for the weekend. Don't forget our four hour coverage. Of the BMW Endurance Challenge. On Friday. And two Mazda MX-5 races as well. And wherever you are. Whether in the US or further afield. The Idemitsu MX-5 Cup this year. Presented by BF Goodrich Tyres. She and I will be doing live coverage. Whether in the US or further afield. And there will also be later on an NBCSN uh, roundup show. But if you want to watch and listen to it live, radiocom We've we've put that new portal up there for all things IMSA. and uh, that will have. It's very easy to find the live video and the live audio. And please use it. That's what it's there for. Tim, where would you like to go next?
2: I'd like to go to IndyCar. Oh. There's a lot of IndyCar news.
1: Well, she's our IndyCar expert as well.
2: Indeed. Um, I think we should start with yesterday's announcement, which came from Michael Andretti uh, and regarded the Canadian driver, uh, James Hinchcliffe.
3: He's back. James is back. Full season. 29 Honda with Andretti, as uh, Tim mentioned. Primary sponsor will be Genesis once again. I believe Genesis is not in for all the races, though. So there is some uh, question about who can sponsor him for a few of the other ones. I believe it's um, 10 races of the season or something. I I heard James say it at one point. But it means that it's Hinchcliffe, Hunter Ray, Rossi, and Herda with Andretti joining them at the Indy 500. That is a powerful squad that Andretti has. Probably the best one that they've run in quite some years now. Now,
2: obviously, he did a few races for Andretti last season, but he's no strange to them anyway, because he began his IndyCar career with them back in 2012.
3: Yes, and he ran with the team. He uh, stepped away. They they had a parting now. I can't remember, but for some reason, I'm thinking it was partially amicable it was there was a little bit of hurt feelings when he did leave though but he did come back last year he stepped in for the final few rounds of the championship into the car that had been occupied by Zach Veach for the uh, majority of the past three years before that and didn't do badly didn't light up the timing streets, but also he'd been out of the IndyCar full time for quite some time by that point. Um, but yes, he returns after a stint at Aerosmith Peterson Racing, and to be honest, Andretti have to be happy to have him back because he brings not only so much talent to the team, but just a different energy and a different persona that they've been lacking it for the last couple of years.
2: Uh, so now we move on to today's news, which is that uh, Dale Coyne Racing with Vasser Sullivan. Uh, and that's the name of the team without any sponsors uh, in its title. Uh, I've announced uh, Ed Jones, after a, uh, someone else who didn't race in IndyCar uh, last year, is returning to the team. Uh, they held a press conference earlier on, so let's hear from, first of all, Dale Coyne, uh, and then we'll hear from Ed Jones afterwards. Well, we're very happy to have Ed back. We were happy with him a couple of years ago when he drove for us, uh, but uh, no, Ed, Ed's. Uh... A great friend of the team his family and my wife and myself we all get along really well so we're very happy to have him back and as i
0: told Ed when we were talking about all this we both have unfinished business so uh, we're very much looking forward to a competitive year after the year out
2: um i knew i really want to be
0: back in indycar um so it was talking to dale um seeing what we could figure out you know things took quite a bit of time but um you know it all came
5: through in the end that's what's important and uh, as Dale said, you know, we've had a great relationship and I know a lot of the guys at the team already and um, having that extra partnership
2: of Aster Sullivan, continuing their success is something which I'm really excited to get going with. Ed Jones there. Uh, Shay, are you I you shocked?
3: Think, uh, yeah. No, no, I'm not because Ed Jones left Dale Coin Racing um, and it was sort of, it gave the feeling that there was more to come from when he left. He, he went to Ganassi, didn't have a great relationship or a great time there. Um, and now he comes back to a place where clearly he felt a lot more comfortable. He's filling the, the seat of Santino Ferrucci, a guy who got a lot of um, people talking about him in one way or another. Santino, who's now trying to make the move over to NASCAR. <laughs> Ed Jones brings stability. And he brings the sort of um, level-headedness that he's just going to put his head down and do the work. And that is exactly what Dale Coyne needs out of a driver.
2: And uh, obviously, last year, uh, he was supposed to be doing uh, DTM. Uh, but then, uh, because of coronavirus, uh, he wasn't able to do that. Um, and uh, do you know what he did instead, Shay? Uh,
3: learn to knit.
2: <laughs> very, very close. Uh, Crochet. He, uh, he did some online courses uh, with MIT. For knitting. For artificial intelligence with big data.
3: Did he find uh, any?
2: <laughs> Which uh, is something that she says isn't particularly useful as a racing driver, but it does interest him a lot. And I can <laughs> see where there would be uh, crossovers for racing, because obviously you do get a lot of data out of the car's telemetry now and it's all about analysing that and uh, using computers to do that.
3: Yeah, and hopefully the intelligence on the pit wall isn't artificial though.
1: (laughs) I can't believe you said that. You're going to get me in trouble now.
3: You're going to get me in massive trouble. I said hopefully.
1: Yeah, alright. Alright. Oh dear, that's funny.
2: Let's uh, uh, move on to my third IndyCar story, uh, which is about a potential teammate for Ed Jones, uh, which could be Roman Grosjean.
1: Oh, good choice.
3: That would be a good choice. There mm. have been whispers about Roman coming into the IndyCar paddock, um, but since before the um, parting with Haas, as uh, after the crash, I should say, back uh, in November was that now. Um, he would be a welcome addition to the IndyCar paddock, and I, I think he really would bring a different, um, a different aspect because we haven't had that Formula One aspect since Alexander Rossi, right? We've had a Marcus little bit Harrison. with Marcus Ericsson, yeah, but I don't know. I feel like Grosjean would be more of, um, he would be more of a name to come to IndyCar from Formula One than we've had in quite some time. He, not quite Alonso running the 500, but. Not too much further
2: off. Uh, Del Coyne was asked about uh, this uh, in the uh, Ed Jones press conference and he said uh, that he had spoken to Roman Grosjean but also had spoken to a hundred other drivers that we could name. <laughs> so uh, we shall see what happens. Uh, he did say that he hoped to announce uh, the second uh, Del Coyne ra- Racing with Vassar Sullivan. Uh, driver uh, within about a week, so we shall see. Okay. Uh, let's go back to some IMSA news, John.
1: Uh, yes, um, and a couple of stories that I picked up. Uh, we talked about this in our WeatherTech Championship um, preview share, which is available on IMSAradio.com. Christopher Meese, um, LMP2. We were wondering yeah. why he might take it on. There's obviously an Audi imperative there, and on SportsCar 365, talking to the guys there, he says effectively he's starting from zero. But this goes to what we've been talking about for such a long time about getting experience as a as a as an Audi driver ready for when Audi come in in 2023, doesn't it?
3: It does completely. And, and Christopher Meese has been a factory Audi driver, I want to say, 11 years now. Um, he is somebody who we don't – he and Christopher Haza actually, are both those stalwart Point. Audi drivers who have been in the GT ranks for such, such a good deal of time. I would expect them to be brought into this LMDH program if, if they can figure out the prototype driving thing because they've been in GT cars for such a long time.
1: Mm. Uh, um, and staying with, with that sort of idea with LMDH and with German manufacturers, the uh, John Bennett, Jonathan Bennett, talking about LMDH for court. Now, Core of course, most recently, share have had very close relationships with uh, Porsche Motorsport North America. They were running the two GT Le Mans cars, and it makes perfect sense to me that those guys should be getting some uh, prototype experience whilst looking ahead and further down the line this is you know you, you you and tim were talking earlier on about about acura this is all about planning for the future isn't it
3: that makes so much sense you know how when you're looking at a puzzle and then you realize what the <laughs> oh yeah. there's the right corner with oh, the sky in it There it go. yeah oh it's a cat oh i didn't know it was a yeah Nope, that makes perfect sense. Um, And especially when we were talking about the fact that uh, the core LMP3 car allows them to keep a lot of their, and forgive the pun, it's unintentional word usage here, core team members together. um, They did lose a lot of their over-the-wall guys. Uh, They had many of the Porsche guys actually being poached away by companies like spacex before the season even <laughs> how cool ended had... How well, what
1: how cool is that though that your oh, race awesome. team get poached by spacex yeah that shows it, you how it, what a level you're working at
3: the rear tire changer for the 911 porsche neil is now a uh, rocket mechanic in effect um, it is rocket
1: science ha- ha- for for it, neil then
3: it is a proud FSU graduate. Um, yes, Fantastic. and you had people, people who work on the box who got uh, stolen away by Formula E teams. So there was a lot of that sort of happening. I I know that some of the mechanics managed to stay in the paddock, but there were a lot who now are in completely different careers. I love the fact that John is not only keeping his family as they are because they've been with him for such a long time together, but it's prepping them for potentially this step up to LMDH and wow now i feel stupid for not seeing that beforehand
1: no and and on sports car 365 there they quote john as saying lmp3 keeps the organization active we're exploring and would like to be part of the prototype racing scene in 2023 if a factory program were to present itself i don't necessarily think that's in the cards for me to drive but our organization is certainly capable of doing that proved Proved. I'm sorry. You don't need to sell it to me, John. And hopefully there is a factory out there, whether it's Acura or Audi or Porsche. And, and let's be honest, you know, they've had, they have had links with Nissan, Nissan, sorry. Dropped into the Australian again there. We have talking about yeah, Australian property. Yeah, uh, with Nissan uh, and with Porsche. You know, you, you don't have to look that far to say, those guys have have an organisation that is set. They have infrastructure that is set. And look, you know, let's let's be absolutely honest. Look how difficult it is to try and import people into the US to do something. Um, you know, Yoast, who are massively successful down through the years, it didn't quite work out for them when they tried to run a, an operation out of Atlanta out of Georgia, for for Mazda. And, you know, now they've they've gone back to Europe and, and they're, they're doing other things. But John's organization, with Core, they, they know how to make it work in the States.
3: Very much so. And they are a championship-winning prototype team. So that Good makes point. perfect sense.
1: Something else that uh, we were talking about... Um, uh, that we we talked about uh, earlier. And in fact, you'll be able to hear in our Missional Pilot Challenge preview, BGB he- heading to Carrera Cup North America after Daytona. A swan song then for the number 38 car.
3: Yes, and this comes... It it makes sense for them. They've run in the Michelin Pilot Challenge for quite some time. Now, A partial seasons, mostly last season, they did a full year with Jan Halen and uh, Tom Collingwood. And it proved to be a a good duo between the, the two of them. The car was always fast. Well, this year at the roar before the 24, the car actually did have the fastest time Of the GS category. That was when Spencer Pompelli was driving it. Mm -hmm. He is joining with. Tease and Collingwood this weekend. Once again. But they're going to be moving. As uh, John Teese is the team owner. He's elected to move over to the new Carrera Cup. North America. Thomas Collingwood will be driving. One of two cars that the team is going to enter. They're going to put a young gun. In the other car. And those were uh, Thomas's words. Not mine by the way. Um, So there will be a two car team. For BGB just no longer in the Michelin Pilot Challenge.
1: Yeah, it's good. Uh, You'll hear more about that uh, after 11 o'clock. Tonight, we've got the first 2021 historic racing news radio show. Paul Tarsi with guests, uh, including uh, Jim Roller tonight. That follows Midweek Motorsport. And straight after that is our Michelin Pilot Challenge. If you can't wait for that... Uh, We'll be over on RS2, IMSA Radio. We're working very clever time shift things with Tim doing multiple things at once. Uh, 11 uh, 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 11 o'clock on, uh, sorry, 11.30 for the Michelin Pilot Challenge on RS1 after the uh, MX-5 Challenge Preview. 11 o'clock over on RS2. Uh, Shall we do, uh, hang on, let me have a look around. No sign of Nick Damon. Do you want to do some off-road Can I bef- news? No,
2: before we do that, I've right. got a few other stories. Um, and uh, don't forget, uh, you mentioned uh, the Historic Racing News Show, which is at 10 immediately after us. Mm. Uh, they will be uh, investigating the death of Mike Halewood uh, oh. tonight. Right. Which obviously happened at this time of year, didn't it? Yes, it did. In fact.
1: There's still a bit of controversy about that, so that's going to be very, very Paul, interesting. Paul
2: Tarsley will be uh, uh, investigating that. Um, but yes, let's move on to some more European news and uh, sponsor news for the Nürburgring Langstrecker Series.
1: This is very interesting indeed, because falcon tyres have been in and around the Nürburgring for quite a long time. They've run a couple of cars, uh, they are sponsored They're a couple of cars. They're still going to
2: run a couple of cars this year yes. coming as well.
1: Uh, sometimes two of the same, sometimes two different manufacturers. They've, where it's been allowed, they've provided tyres, and now they've decided to help out the whole series. And I use those words, Tim, uh, very advisedly, because it's quite important, the input that Falcon are putting in to the series.
2: Yes. Uh, you say you mentioned the heritage. It's 20 years, um, more than 20 years since they've been uh, taking part in what was the VLN and is now the NLS. Uh, Dennis uh, Vilsterman, who's the marketing supervisor for Falcon Tire Europa at Gain-Bahar, said, The myth of the nordschleife life has always held great attraction for us. For a long time now, we've enjoyed working together with the Nürburgring as a trusted and successful partner. Put simply, there's no better track to demonstrate the performance of our tyres than the Nordschleife.
1: And and I find it difficult to argue with that, having done, I think, what is technically called a few laps around the Nürburgring (laughs) Nordschleife. Remember that a
2: few laps takes some time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, isn't that like an hour? Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't forget the first time I went there was, I think, 2007, maybe Eight. 2008. Yes. And I've done a few laps since then. And I never pretend that I know it because the moment that you think you know it is is a problem. But ultimately, as Klaus Graf said to me the first time I was there, It's the ultimate country road. And if it all goes well, nothing's coming in the opposite direction. And therefore, you drive it like your favourite country road. Don't think of it as a racetrack. Think of it as as your favourite country road, your favourite cross-country drive. And that's what it was built for, let's not forget. The whole essence of the Nürburgring, Nordschleife, Nordschleife and the sadly now lost Sud Schleifer, the, the Southern Loop as well, was built as a test and racetrack to take the uh, newfangled motor uh, motorcars off the roads of the area, so they went blasting past people's front door whilst they were trying to pick the milk up. Um, and that's exactly how you have to look at it. And Falcon, along with a number of other tyre manufacturers, a number number of other OEMs, uh, original equipment manufacturers, have test and development centres there. Falcon have been there for a very, very long time. And I think it's great. I think this is a wonderful idea that they should be helping out on a a situation that could see us without... uh, Nürburgring Langstrecke series for, for 2021. The good news, by the way, is that the responsible Childhood has been speaking to NLS and it looks very much like we will be continuing our English language coverage should that series continue. And there's an asterisk be- beside that, of course, because of the situation within Europe and particularly within in Germany at the moment.
2: Now, in addition to the NLS, of course, the Nordschleife hosts the annual uh, 24 Hours of the Nürburgring. Not part of the championship, Not part of the championship. Mm. This year, that is scheduled for the 4th to the 6th of June. Yes. Which meant it clashed with the Fuji Supertech 24 Hours.
1: And the Le Mans Test Weekend.
2: Yes. Well, the Fuji Supertech 24 Hours has said, we don't want this clash. So (laughs) they've moved forward two weeks and will now run on the 21st to the 23rd of May. Do
1: you know what? I will guarantee you the, the Le Mans test day won't do that?
2: Yes, I don't think so either. <laughs> There's another event that weekend which I think uh, will move. Which is? Uh, IMSA Detroit.
1: At the risk of incurring um, the wrath of our colleagues at IMSA, I don't think that event will happen. That is a standalone event. It isn't an IMSA IndyCar event because the IndyCar event moved. Um, I think I'm right, Shane, saying that it moved because the Detroit Grand, uh, the Detroit Auto Show had moved and the IndyCar's moved alongside of that. And I'm, I'm not sure that IMSA would want to sustain a Solace event on Belle Isle on that weekend.
3: They already were. Um, the IndyCar weekend, when it was announced, was the week after. I want to say the IMSA mm-hmm. event, so they Correct. had already been a split um, weekend. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know if it if it happens, then it would be a very different feel than it ever has before for us. Oh,
1: they've always run IMSA. Have always run a limited program there. Because of the fact that so many people are at Le Mans for test weekend, and particularly in terms of Detroit, the uh, GT Le Mans cars have never been a part of that, and they're not slated. Despite the fact there's only four of them in scheduled races this year, they're not uh, three of them. Excuse me, Uh, they're not slated to be there this weekend, that weekend that, that they're talking about. But it is Corvette. And it, it is WeatherTech, so they they will absolutely be at Le Mans. Assuming, by the way, and it's a big assumption, that Le Mans happens in June. Can IMSA sustain that on its own?
3: Well, it's slated to be DPI, LMP2, and GTD. Figure if we have uh, six DPIs, mm-hmm. maybe. I'm going to be optimistic and say six LMP2s and right. 15 GTDs. Yeah, that's
1: enough. That, that's enough. That would work. No, I agree with you. That's enough. In fact, you probably don't really want any more than that because they're very tight, fast track. Street circuit in name only because it's fast and sweeping in a lot of places. But there's no room for error uh, pretty much anywhere. And yeah, yeah, that might work. That might work. Maybe it does happen. It's uh, maybe it is more contentious as to whether Le Mans will happen on in June uh, and whether that gets pushed back into September again. I'd uh, expect by the way. I'll, I'll hear, I'll hear submissions. <laughs> I'll hear submissions on that. Uh, five to nine here in the UK. Um, let's squeeze in a couple of more uh, stories before we hit halftime, Tim. Sebastian Ogier. Uh, <laughs> I
2: thought he'd retired, but apparently he hasn't. He's uh, won his fiftieth uh, World Rally and an what? eighth. Yes, yes, and an eighth uh, Monte Carlo Rally.
1: On his way to wow. surely an eighth WRC Championship as well. Um, a a Monte. Uh, right now, let me wind back a bit. I really enjoyed the Monza. WRC event that was crowbarred in at the end of the year around the Monza track. They were very creative about how they got some quite long stages in there, and then they went up in the mountains, and it was great in November. I love the Monty. I thought the Monty was very disappointing this year. It just didn't deliver. Uh, There were fewer than 200 miles of stages spread across the three days. There was there was by far more liaison uh, road driving than there was competitive driving. Stages were short. They were nadgy. The French lockdown, uh, which includes a curfew from six o'clock at night and six o'clock in the morning, uh, made it really, really bizarre for how they had to squeeze things in. And you've got to ask yourself, under those Under that situation which I absolutely understand for safety and health reason in France. Why did we bother with the Monty this year? There was absolutely no point in bothering with the Monty. It it didn't feel like the Monty. It didn't look like the Monty. I know that a lot of people in the WRC paddock were trying to build it up. Um, There were a couple of stages that were full of snow that looked absolutely fantastic but you couldn't go late into the evening and have the darkness stages on the calls Uh, somehow and i'm not sure how they managed to travel to stages before six o'clock in the morning which strictly speaking they weren't allowed to oh no hang on they were going to work so i suppose they were Uh, I, i just think we're trying too hard and in those situations motorsport has got to be responsible it's got to be sensible And it's got to respect the situation within the territories of the countries in which we are visitors. And and I don't think we did anybody any favours by having the Monty. Just my opinion. But OJ OJ bossed it. Uh, Elvin Evans was great. He did what he needed to do. He's looking championship. And... Looking at the, the, the GT cars in there were great. I wish we'd seen more of them because the Baths, uh the Alpines looked absolutely fabulous. That was absolutely the 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 real feeling of the Monty for me. He used to very
2: boss dish. and of course there was a new boss uh, yes, for Sebastian Auger in the Toyota squad which was Yowie Matty Latvilla. And, Former uh, teammate. Uh, a 1-2 on his debut as manager.
1: Could have had one-two-three. Tim, to be honest, uh, if Look had gone had gone with them, um, Yari Matty former teammate uh, uh, of uh, of Sebastian, and interesting uh, that that has happened, and he's taken over from um, Tommy Mackinnon, and it, it's it's a winning formula, isn't it? So, uh, Toyota Gazoo Racing seemed to have found something that works. Good luck to them.
2: Thierry Nerville was third, a minute 13 seconds behind Ogier in the uh, Hyundai i20. Uh, and Rovenpera was fourth. That was that uh, other Yaris that could have made it a threesome on the podium. Uh, Danny Sordo was fifth, uh, and that means that Ogier takes a 30 point lead into the next round of the FIA World Rally Championship. Which is, Tim? Well, who knows? Sweden? It's,
1: well, no, it was meant to be Sweden, but it's the what's called the Arctic Rally. Sweden would have been great because they've actually got snow for once, um, but they're, they're running the roads that were run a couple of three weeks ago on the Arctic Rally. So, very good. Uh, looking forward to that. There's going to be a few changes in some of the teams uh, who are running the bench system and uh, that, that'll that be interesting that will be interesting
0: time for one more before
2: no I don't think we have because it's uh, that time for
0: this Midweek Motorsport where John has just 48 seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour
1: yes but is that 48 seconds from when you started speaking or from when you finished speaking I'd speak you, but if you would like to get in touch with us as we've got all the systems up and running again. Right, coming up, uh, we're going to say goodbye to Cher, who's been working very hard. She'll be back for our Mission and Pilot Challenge at 11 uh, preview, at 11 o'clock on uh, RS2. Uh, We'll have Nick Damon for Formula One news and a bit of bike news as well. But next, as we continue our sort of IMSA theme, it's time to meet and talk to uh, on a Zoom call the new boss of the GM Sports Car Racing Programme, whom I've known for quite a while.
0: Midweek Motorsport on Radiolamon.com.
1: Delighted to say that joining us for our big interview this week is Laura Wantrop Klauser, who has just taken on a fabulous, fabulous brief within General Motors. Laura, what does it say on your new business card?
4: It says uh, Sports Car Racing Program Manager.
1: Before we talk about what you're taking on and going forward, we have to talk about where you've come from, because in the great tradition of GM and of these type of racing programs, you've been around for quite a long time within the organization with streetcars, but you're, you're no stranger to racing programs either having been in charge of a couple already?
4: Yes, that's true. Yeah, I started my career at General Motors on the production side, as most of us do, and spent about eight years there working on various platforms, everything from the production Corvette to the small stuff. I even worked on the Chevrolet Spark, which everyone laughs, but get in that car and drive it. It's actually a hoot, especially if you can get in the manual. Uh, It's fun to drive a slow car fast, if you know what I mean. Um, But then when I switched over to racing in 2016, I had the pleasure of working on our Cadillac ATS VR program that we campaigned in Pirelli World Challenge. And then I switched to be a part of the Cadillac DPI VR program that we have here in IMSA. And I've been with that program since 17. I helped them launch. And then I took over as program manager in 18 when we sunset the ATS program. And so it's been great getting to know everybody in the paddock. Thankfully, I already got to know the Corvette team really well by sharing you know, spaces with them and everything. And uh, so it's been an easy transition into the new role in terms of knowing all the people but in figuring out how to juggle everything and make sure that I give everyone the time that they deserve, that's been the fun part to try and figure out. Uh,
1: you and I first met through the, the, the Cadillac DPI, the DPI-V program, and, and we've shared a stage and, and chatted about that program and how important it is to the, the Cadillac V Series owners to, to have something to aim at. Now you've gone to another brand, where the racing side of things is absolutely integral to the streetcar. Your predecessor, Doug Feehan, would say, as long as we build Corvettes, we'll race Corvettes. First of all, that's not changing anytime soon, is it?
4: Racing is in Corvette's DNA. As Doug put it very well, It means everything to us, to the brand, and we develop the race cars and the street cars side by side. We really do. We learn from back and forth, and everything that we pick up in racing makes the street car better, and sometimes even street car stuff makes the race car better. So those two belong together. They are a perfect match.
1: We've talked many times down through the years with your drivers and some of the team at Corvette and, indeed, at Cadillac about that technology transfer and things like the simple things, actually, that that makes such a difference like the proximity sensors that the guys have on their rear view in the GT Le Mans car that came out of technology that was road car based that was something that came the other way and it's made a huge difference to the guys in racing
4: yeah the and and you know it's it's tech transfer goes from everything from an aerodynamic design on, on the Cadillac, a perfect example, where the shapes that we tried out there, all of those shapes were a test bed for the CT4 and the CT5 that we just launched recently. We use the DPI to get us where we need to go there. Rear-view cameras, great example of technology that you wouldn't think of. We have those in the production cars, and racing makes those applications stronger because if you can imagine going 200 miles per hour around Daytona, you need that camera to respond super quickly because things are changing at a rapid pace versus, and the production car, you you're not, well, if you're going 200 miles in your production car, I hope it's safely at a track, and I hope you're having a blast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think probably not looking very much at what's coming up behind you, uh, in fairness, at that point. <laughs> Interesting times for you to come into this new role. Sports car racing, both in America, in IMSA, and, and globally, uh, is going through changes, changes that were starting, and, and in fairness, we expected them long before the current situation where does corvette racing and the sports car racing program that you now in charge of where does that sit and how have those changes impacted the medium term at least
4: you know it's funny the the changes that are coming in racing i'm glad to see because if you flip over to what's going on in production and in the industry it's drastically changing. GM's had some very exciting announcements about our electric future and other things that we're pursuing. You know, nothing is staying still anymore. We have to rethink how we're doing everything. And I'm glad that racing realizes that, that you know, they are in that as well. The whole world's kind of, Going through its its own renaissance in a way. And in terms of what how we're going to incorporate that into racing, that's what we're currently working on. In fact, one of the reasons that I had the opportunity to take on all the sports car programs is we wanted to look at the sports car racing Cadillac Corvette Camaro as a whole unit. And make good decisions based on what the class potential is in the future, as well as where we think we'll get the best bang for our buck from an exposure, a tech transfer, you know, building up relationships, all of that. And we are, it's been, it's been busy. In fact, uh, I think I joked, I, I took Christmas Day off and that was pretty much it since October when, when we got some management change in the motorsports and we are so excited to, to take a minute to look at it, you know, as a holistic approach and make all the right decisions so that we have the right cars in the right places to, uh, you know, like I said, make sure we have, uh, ourselves covered as well as everything that we need to get out of racing because racing needs to stand on its own. We, it needs to have a business case that makes sense. And we want to make sure that we set ourselves up for success so we can keep racing for years to come. That's a very good point. So let's go
1: through the three programs that you mentioned there. GT4, Camaro. That is customer facing. Where are we with Camaro? Where are we with where that will be for the next couple of three years?
4: Well, the Camaro homologation is good for another couple of years, so I don't believe we anticipate to make any changes there. Uh, we we it, it took a lot to get that car up and running, and, and it, that program was a huge lessons learned for us. Uh, historically, GM has been a little weaker on the customer racing side of things. Uh, we have it with Cadillac, and that's been good, but it, it's a little bit different than when you get into the GT4 level. So we took the opportunity with the Camaro program to figure a lot of things out. And, and I can't say we're perfect. Uh, we definitely still have a lot to learn there. But thankfully, our teams have really latched onto the car and to us. And they've been very candid with us. And they tell us what we've done right. And they tell us what we've done wrong. And that's been huge for me to really see, okay, if we do a customer program in the future, in, in whatever class that may be, How can we take everything from that Camaro program and apply it so that we don't hit the same hurdles that we've been dealing with today? Um, And and we're thankful we've got three Camaros that are going to be running in IMSA on the race on Friday. And then we actually have two that run overseas. V8 Racing is our team that campaigns them over there. So we have gotten a little global exposure, but ideally, you know, looking to the future, if we do a customer program, we want to make sure that we can beef that up and really have a global product that people can use across the world.
1: V8 supercars. They're moving to cars that look more like GT3 or GT4 cars. Already there is a deal to get Camaro as a street car into Australia, and one of your partners over there changes the steering wheel to the proper side. You know, and can we have some from the UK as well, please? Now you're doing right-hand drive C8 Corvettes. What could you tell us, if anything, about going forward with the Camaro ship, either as a GT4 or a variant thereof, in other championships like V8 Supercars?
4: Well, I mean, we're open to looking at all of these things. It really is going to depend, like I said, into the big vision that we're building, where things fit in and 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 uh, where um, we think the the best use of the technology is. You know, the Camaro is a fantastic vehicle, but it definitely has its strength and its weaknesses versus some of our other product, you know, are going to have different strengths and weaknesses. And the key thing is mating the right car with the right platform. And that's, you know, everything that we've been working on and trying to figure out.
1: Right. Let's move from Camaro then to Cadillac and there's a reason for that we'll come back to Corvette <laughs> in a moment so Cadillac highly developed car we know that it's got a finite life because we know DPi 2.0 is coming uh, that was IMS's idea and it's been adopted as a global platform by the the ACO LMDH as as they as they term it Sum up for us, first of all, the current situation in the Cadillac customer racing portfolio, if you will.
4: In terms of today, we probably have, in fact, we do, we have the best lineup ever that we've ever had for the Rolex 24, fantastic teams, you know, AXR has been with us from the beginning. JDC came on board a couple years ago and, and watching them grow has been a huge pride of myself because, you know, I brought them in and then we've been trying to develop to get them where they need to be. And then of course, bringing CGR in, I mean, you know, talk about IMSA legend right there coming in and wanting to be a part of our program with us. It's uh, it's great. The names in our cars for the Rolex, uh, you know, we've got some NASCAR fans might know Jimmy Johnson and Chase Ellis are going to be in the car. We've got Simon Pagino, you know, here an Indy 500 winner, uh, Kevin Magnuson coming from F1. You can't argue with any of this stuff. It's, it's fantastic. And, and, you know, it's major love to our IMSA regulars, Felipe Nasser, Pippa Durani, Ranger van der Zand. These guys have won those championships for us years after year. And it's just, I'm thrilled. And it's been really interesting to see in the 48 car alone, they have, um, you know, P1 F1 driver and Kamui Kobayashi. You've got Jimmy Johnson, NASCAR, Simon Paginal, Indy, and then Mike Rockefeller, who's been in the IMSA paddock and knows all these cars. It's, you know, four genera- or four genres in one car. Where do you find that? Nowhere else. It's so cool.
1: <laughs> and all winners as well in their respective disciplines in terms of championships and and big, big races. What can you tell us about the situation going forward with uh, DPI and the Cadillac brand in DPI? Because as I said, there is a finite time. We know that there's a new set of regulations coming in and IMSA's... Timeline says early 2023, which in motor racing terms is right around the corner.
4: <laughs> yes, it is for sure. Um yeah, and I mean we the way that we're set up, if our teams want to keep racing their Cadillacs this year, next year, we'll be there with them to make sure that they have you know what they need through Delara and East C R engines. Um but in terms of looking to the future, again, you know, LMDH, it's on the table. It's something that we're evaluating with the vision. It's uh it's the way that it's been how I've been looking at it as it seems like all the OEs are converging to one platform where they're gonna do their factory efforts. And I think that's likely LMDH or or maybe hypercar in some ways there as well. Uh, but in terms of you know the other GT racing, probably going to be a little bit more customer focused in the future along those lines. So it really comes down to where do we want to place ourselves as a company, you know, with Chevrolet and Cadillac Motorsports, you know, do we want to have a factory effort? Do we want to focus on customer? Do we want to maybe have a little bit of both, you know, something along those lines. And that's the stuff that we're figuring and how we're mating platforms to where they are programs to platforms. <laughs> uh, let's just park
1: that. What you said, there. Some very interesting things. And I've I've logged them away because I want to now talk about specifically about Corvette. c it r launched incredibly well last year. You could not write the script, wins its 100th race in IMSA competition on US, uh, North American soil on Saturday, the 4th of July, sweeps all before it in its debut season. The second season looks like it's getting off to a decent start, but you're not going to have the competition from other manufacturers that you thought you might have. How does that affect that programme in 2021 and how you view the future of that programme?
4: ultimately we would love to have a packed grid right we want to you know be battling out with bmw porsche ferrari we want to be neck and neck at the end there and we want to just edge them out and we want to snag that trophy you know that that that's great for us it's great for the fans everything but the good news is is even if we do have some smaller grids for some of the races this year we still will have the opportunity to learn and you might see a little corvette versus corvette going on there too which is bound to happen i would think
1: well it wouldn't be the first time laura or every time anybody says that, I just think mid-Ohio exiting the pits. And we look forward to that. We really yeah, do.
4: That's the hardest part is the program manager. You want to make sure that the guys are being competitive. You want them to get out there and put on a good show. And, and you want them to try because, I, you know, I want race car drivers that want to win. Why, why else would you want to be in the seat? That's silly. But at the same time, those things are a little expensive. We don't need to have too much smashing between the same sister cars. That, that, that seems a little – but – but no, I, I think it'll, we'll have some good fun this year. Um, so, e- you know, even the races where it's a little bit of a smaller grid, we're, we're going to be out there. We're glad to be here. We're excited. We're going to get a lot out of it. And um, I think that it's just finding that balance. But we were thrilled to, you know, have a pretty decent sized grid for the Rolex. So that's exciting. And hopefully a lot of them will join us, at least for the endurance races. And we'll be able to continue on having that neck and neck competition at the end. <laughs>
1: Again, I'm reserving parts of the Corvette conversation. What you don't have at the moment is a GT3 offering. We've talked in the past about whether GT3 will eventually in the big scheme of things, particularly in IMSA competition, might take over from from GT Le Mans and whether that would influence perhaps what's going on. It's been suggested to me that IMSA should be taking the lead in that top GT category, not just for IMSA, but globally. What's the thinking then on a a GT3-specific offering for customers and the future then of GT Le Mans. I mean, unfortunately you guys have just committed to it. That would normally have lasted being a four or five year commitment. So, so what's your thinking on the whole GT LM GT three?
4: You know, the timing is everything, right? And here we launched our brand new race car last year and everything from COVID to, you know, all, all the things that happened. And, and uh, I, I think it's inevitable changes are happening in the GT class. IMSA has to figure out how to handle some of these smaller grids and what they want to do with that. Um, and, and thankfully, they've been very open and transparent working with each of the OEs to, you know, talk about what they think they'd like to do in terms of how we want to address this as a group and, and partners, which is something we greatly appreciate when IMSA does that with us. Um, so I think we're working behind the scenes to figure out what's the right answer here. And then how does Corvette fit into that? So, you know, we're about, eval- again, <laughs> evaluating all this stuff. But the GT3 platform is very interesting. It's also a big step up from GT4. And like I said, you know, we were just getting our feet wet, kind of figuring all of that out on the GT4 side. So, it's a huge undertaking to go from one to the other, and and that's all part of understanding, you know, what makes sense for us and for our brands, and where will we get the best bang for our buck.
1: You talked about identifying the right platform, the right model, effectively for for each of the categories and each type of racing, whether it's GT4, GT3, GT, Le Mans, GTE, or. Prototype racing will lump all of, all of that together. Does the current situation in GT Le Mans affect that thinking for GT3? Because clearly Corvette would fit nicely in GT3. It might even be that you could backwards engineer the, the current car to something like a current GT3. And, and certainly it's a BOP specification, BOP formula anyway. Or are you still prepared to say, I oh, know we have... All right, not a Chevy Spark. So I'm going to tell you that now. You can't have a Chevy Spark. Do you know what? A Chevy Spark GT3 car. Hmm. Your thoughts?
4: We need a bigger engine.
1: (laughs) Mid-mounted. Yeah, the the little Spark. Mid-mounted Chevy Spark. Yeah, with a a nice big V8. You see, that works (laughs) for me.
4: Actually, a funny joke. Back when I was working on the the Spark, one of the mechanics in the... uh, um, the building garage where I worked, where we did all the integration work, he became my good friend. And, and I, I I do track days with my personal Corvette. So he would tease me about that. And he kept telling me, he said, we're going to put that engine right there in the passenger seat of that spark. And you're going to go see what that wheelbase can do with that car. It's like, oh, that sounds like a blast. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> Sorry, let's let's go back to the, the sense I knew this would happen uh, with you and I getting together. Uh, let, let's talk about GT3 then, how do you assess that going forward? And as I said, does the current situation in GT Le Mans affect your thinking in terms of your brands in there?
4: Yeah, for sure it does, right? You know, and and I the way I bucket it in my mind is you have GT racing and you have the prototype racing, so it's you know it's two separate things, and you approach each of them differently depending on how you want to do that there's definitely cars that are better suited for the GT style, um, you know, racing, because you need something that's going to be durable, that's going to be easy to work on for our customers, you need to have bulletproof engines, those are all super important things when you're looking at customer racing. And some of our cars definitely line up with that better than others, because, you know, quirky cars are fun, we loved having them, but they are a challenge if you're trying to work with them on the regular basis. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we've looked at everything, we, we've looked at what would it take to uh, take the current Corvette and bring it down to GT3. We've looked at going the other way. You know, when I say we've studied everything, we have studied everything. We left no stone unturned so that we knew when we came up with what we want to do that we had checked the boxes and we, we, we were very confident in this is the right plan for us. So, you know, it, a lot of simulation work, a lot of um, just looking at the different components, trying to put our mindset in, you know, instead of someone who's been living with this car since day one, what would it be like for someone who's never seen it before and and how would they work with it? So there's been a lot going on there. And I think when we finally come to our final answer and we get that management approval, it's a good solid one. And that's going to make sense for us. And and I hope that when everyone hears, okay, that makes sense to us too, why GM would do that.
1: (laughs) What you're seeing there, Laura, does that suggest then that GT3, has to be on the agenda in the medium term
4: for for your programs. It, it's it, it's an option. There's no has to at this point, right? And that's one of, we definitely hold the the cards in our hand now as the OE because we get to choose where we want to be and, and what we want to put resources behind. But it's it's a very strong contender. It's something that we're looking very seriously at um, in terms of, you know, is that official? Or are we going to go that way? We're not ready to say that. And, and in fact, we're, we're still not approved. So even if I told you what we were planning, it could get changed, you know, as soon as leadership gets involved. But um, it uh, I think we should have some pretty solid answers here coming up very soon. Uh, we got to get moving. We're running out of time. So we can only dilly-dally so much longer in all of this, and then we'll be, be sharing with the public you know what what our intent is as we move forward.
1: A new GT3 regulations will play into that and they're just on the horizon. We'll come back to this weekend specifically in a moment, but I want to revisit some of the, the prototype things that you mentioned there. Cadillac clearly your prototype brand of choice at the moment. With the advent of, of hybrid power in LMDH, DPI 2.0, with the advent of that becoming a global formula, is it a given that Cadillac would continue to be the prototype brand or could potentially, again, brands for platforms, could we see, and people will be drooling the moment I say this, could we see a Corvette LMDH? Could that be in the thinking to take that as a global, one of your two global brands, Cadillac and, and, and Corvette,
4: are both global brands? We've looked at it all. We really truly have. It's uh, you know, it's, it was one of those, like I said, we, we, we didn't box ourselves in to doing what we've always been doing just because that's what we've been doing. We said, no, we need to think about this holistically. We need to go, you know, again, we're looking to the future from our portfolio on the production side and where we want to be and how do those things, you know, what, what marketing can we get out of these race platforms So, you know, it's definitely, we've looked at them all and uh, I'd say that just because we're doing it today doesn't mean that we have to do it that way in the future. Uh, Does that program, does that prototype
1: program always have to be a customer program? Because clearly in IMSA, that works very well. But if you were to look further afield with whatever brand you decided to take into LMDH, DPI 2.0, there's an opportunity there for GM racing, Corvette racing, Cadillac racing to go out and, take on the Le Mans 24 hours. And, and in terms of the public relations benefit on that, that, that would be pretty big to have the works team going back.
4: Yeah, no, for sure. And and one of the things that makes LMDH appealing to us is that opportunity to have that global presence and to take the car over to Le Mans. You know, I, I think race fans know Cadillac has unfinished business there. So there is something, you know, appealing for that for that brand. On the flip side, we've got another car that's been successful in Le Mans that, you know, it could be interesting maybe to look at things that bit, way. Yes. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So I've left all options on the table. Have you noticed? <laughs> um but it uh in terms of factory versus is customer again, you know, it's it's that one's a tricky one because there's definitely pluses and minuses to both and we've experienced both in the MSAPATIC, you know, with two different classes. But that, that one is the one we're really going to have to work through and figure out, all right, once we determine these are where we're going to be, you know, what is our factory? If we're doing a factory, what is the customer? You know, what is the customer that we make sure we we have teams that we have very close relationships with versus open door, anyone we'd like to to work with. So all of that, it, it's it's a lot to juggle. Um, I, You know, I, I knew that sports car was complicated, but then when you really get into the nuts and bolts, you're like, my Lord, there's a lot of choices you can make in a lot of ways you can go.
1: <laughs> well, and starting off with the big one, uh, this weekend, you're racing the clock as much as you're racing or and the circuit as much as you're racing your competition in uh, all the classes that you're represented in this weekend. Let's not forgot we've got the pilot challenge uh, as well this weekend for a four hour race. Uh, and by the way, you've got a certain Mr. Tandy working for you now. I've known him for a while. He can sometimes be a bit of a handful. But if you ever need him to do anything, just dangle the idea of doing some kind of oval stock car. Test in his face (laughs) i'll give you that one for nothing are you looking forward to the weekend first of all thank you
4: (laughs) yeah oh i I can't wait i'm i've been my jitters have started up since the roar and i'm just excited i can't wait for that green flag to fall and then of course the checker to fall on both a cadillac and a corvette first that's the goal
1: (laughs) finish off with the longer term in this new role as sports car racing program manager it's a big remit What are you most looking forward to and what do you think will be your biggest challenge, Laura?
4: I'm looking forward to the future. I'm really excited about how much attention we're placing on figuring out, you know, where we're going to be and and all the exciting. And, and, you know, change is hard, right? We love how we've been racing for a long time here. but. Change really gives an opportunity to rethink things and to try and find ways to uh, to build off of the brands that we have in racing and, and the future. So that's the thing I'm most looking forward to. In terms of the big, biggest challenges, I'm finding that I need to figure out the best way to make sure that everyone who falls under the umbrella for Cadillac and Chevrolet understands that they are all still my number one priority. I adore the teams that we work with and the engine and the chassis suppliers we work with. They are the reason that we are successful. We have strong people that support us and, and are willing to fly our flags, and we are thrilled for that. And I just want to make sure that even if I'm stretched a little thin, they are still all number one in my book because we can't do it without them.
1: <laughs> Sounds like you're going to have to learn to juggle chainsaws that are in flames, <laughs> three, four, five at a time. Uh, Laura, <laughs> one up closer. Uh, the new. Sports Car Racing Programme Manager. Great to see you and hear you again. Enjoy uh, and thank you for your time on Midweek Motorsport, our IMSA special this week. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tim Gray up in London. Where would you like to go next?
2: I'd like to go north. I'd like to go to the <laughs> to the uh, rolling dales and Fenland of Lincolnshire.
1: There's, there's nothing rolling about... The insipid
2: flatness of Lincolnshire.
1: I don't think it's insipid either. It's just flat. It's Fenland. You were right with Fenland. I'll I'll go with that.
2: We're going to do this. Uh,
1: All right. (laughs) Sorry? Um, This is a new feature, isn't it?
2: This is a new feature.
1: That is... I feel I should ignore this.
2: Let's see if Nick Damon knows this.
1: Nick Damon, welcome to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, You are
5: king. (laughs) Don't, don't.
2: (laughs) King of the 80s. I'm
5: literally in the same... That's so familiar, but I can't put my finger on it. Hang on. Oh,
1: it's killing me. I know it's on shoestring. No.
2: <laughs> You're waiting for someone to tweet you the answer, aren't
1: you? I don't think give anybody's... give us a clue. Joe Bradley. Uh, detective. Please, Judith Bravo.
2: is Bravo's correct.
1: Julian Bravo. Oh. oh, you see, no, that's not what I was thinking of. So I, I absolutely put my hands up and say, no. By the way, thank you for all the tweets already about Laura. We'll get to some of them in a moment. All right. So Juliet Bravo. Um, in phonetic terms, that's J B. Oh, I Which see. very Bradley. Yes. Uh, very no,
5: good. That, that wasn't what I was thinking. Because Joe Bradley was a policeman. Which no, is also I see a coincidence. Di- yes. I
1: see that. Sam Pierce did get Juliet Bravo. Very good. Very good. What, uh, who other, who, what other people that we might want to talk about, Nick, has the initials J and B?
2: We don't want to talk about them yet. Oh, uh, really? Uh, okay. Lincolnshire Police are investigating the theft of two bespoke cars from Cadwell oh, yes. Park. The cars are both BMWs. Uh, an X5 medical car and an M240i safety car. The vehicles have a combined oh. value of over a hundred thousand pounds. And officers are appealing for anyone with information to come forward. The cars were stolen at around twelve fifteen on Tuesday. If you seen twelve fifteen
1: these what? Twelve fifteen Last PM, night, it says. It said, unfortunately, Lincolnshire Police don't seem to have a grasp of am and pm. They don't. Because I really think they meant twelve fifteen after midnight.
5: If you've seen these distinctive
2: cars or have information about this crime uh, please contact Lincolnshire Police or through the independent charity Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 Uh, Well,
1: Simon Hoff says was that the gentle touch? No it wasn't Uh, Yoda's uncle and Sarah Rigby both got Juliet Bravo straight away and by the way if anybody from Lincolnshire Police uh, is listening my registration number is uh N D Z two three three on a red Audi RS seven.
3: Why are you doing that? <laughs> well I'm not gonna give them
5: mine, am I? Wait, why why they want it at all?
2: <laughs> the ANPR all over the east of England will be uh I'm
0: Looking
1: buzzing.
5: I thought that you were going to go and ask... I hope they had a bit more luck finding these cars and finding your bonnet badge, but there we go.
1: Well, no, that is very true. Thank you. (laughs) It's a disgrace. It's shocking. Um, uh, uh, This is the sort of crime...
2: Hmm. These are distinctive (sighs) vehicles. You're not going to get very far in a... Y- y- white BMW that is marked no. as safety car safety very car clearly. And, a
1: one that, and, and an X5 that's marked as medical car. They didn't drive them away. They had to go into the back of a truck or be on the back of a flatbed and covered up. Nobody Somebody knows about
5: this. And they'll be in a yeah. They'll be in bits now and out the country. Two, but, but there's two points. Well, they won't be out of the country because the, the, the ports are all... But they'll be waiting to go out the country to port somewhere. Mm. <laughs>
1: Uh, the other thing is, how did anybody know they were there?
2: It's a racing circuit. It's going to have a safety car.
1: I'd, I'm very, I'm very, very suspicious. Uh, look, okay, I, I I lived all my <laughs> formative years with a detective uh, inspector for most of the time of that, so I'm a bit suspicious about this. I hope we can get to the bottom of it. Um, And and those cars come back. Can I do a a a couple? And by the way, if you've seen either of them, I don't even think they were road registered. Tim, were they, or were they? Uh, They were. I've seen VRMs uh, mentioned on them.
2: Just to give you an idea of the um, level of crime in the car, by the way. Yeah, level of crime in rural Lincolnshire. The uh, reference number is five for
1: 2021.
2: No, for the 26th of January. But even so, five.
1: Okay, All right. Although, to be Um, fair,
2: it was 12.15 in the morning, so that's five crimes in the first 15 minutes of the day. uh, Let's not go to to Lincolnshire, shall we?
1: I don't. Um, At Spectatairment, by the way, Uh, hello to John McCarthy, hello to Jesse. Amazing interview with new GM sports car racing head, Laura wontrop Uh She's right. There's a very uh, large amount of talent behind the wheel of GM racing cars. Uh, hello to uh, Kevin Payne, who likes the sound of Laura as well. She's great. I've known Laura for a while, as you heard in the interview. And yeah, I'm sorry. We sort of got off track. Uh, Johnny Austin, I would like to see Corvette LMDH and Camaro GT3. I did ask that question. Uh, Dave Alcock really enjoying the interview. Uh, and uh, Kevin said, my issue, Kev Bow was saying, my issue was going for a Corvette Grand Sport uh, in the summer to a Sonic for a winter car. I don't think that's a, that's an issue at all, particularly if it's a, a stick shift, snow particularly. Uh, Alexander Organ says, if they can BOP the Chevy Spark, you can have your BOP 500 as well. I um, uh, I uh, When we were setting the interview up, and thanks to, to Ryan Smith for setting uh, that up, the um, long-term PR guru for Corvette and, and GM, uh, I spoke to Laura, and I did tell the story about putting a twin-cam 2-litre Nissan British touring car engine in the middle of a Nissan Micra. And David Leslie, God rest his soul, and I went out and tested that car out of RML. Subsequently, the car had a 350Z uh, Nissan V6 engine in, um, which I think is where um, the inspiration for for Laura feeling comfortable to tell that story about. Kevin Payne, uh, awesome interview with Laura, so invested in racing. Uh, Dave Olcott. oh my goodness, I didn't think of Corvette DPI. There was a Corvette Grand Am, so why not LMDH at Le Mans? Incredible idea. Cadillac would also be an amazing prospect, which is a great way to promote either brand globally at the world's greatest motor race. Uh, and uh, we may have lost Doug Feeham from Corvette, but we've gained Laura Montrop-Clouser uh, across all of the sports car brands. Great interview you can hear from our Enthusiasm and Energy programme is in good hands. I certainly think it is. We will be uh, catching up with Laura. You heard a lot of people talk about the GT3. You heard her saying that they'd looked at everything. Uh, I got Nick from what she was saying there that they'd kind of made their decision and they were waiting to. Uh, they were waiting to have that confirmed by the higher ups. Uh, when she said we need to put that to management, as it
5: yeah. were. Yeah, I mean it's it's it is yeah, whilst you're in charge of a, a major racing programme you're still answering to the people um but well, are they in Detroit GM yes, still yes, or yes, yes. Yeah. So that's yeah, so that's what you're answering to, isn't it? And uh let's see what happens. Because they, they'll they'll sign the checks. Which are obviously a lot smaller than they have been, so they should be fine. Uh
1: Yes, very good,
5: Tim Greer. Uh, more more on Laura
1: in the next few weeks, I'm sure. She said we'd find out when they knew. Aspect uh, entertainment, and don't forget tonight we've got uh, a the first 2021 show for uh, historic racing news at, el- at uh, ten following us. Uh, following that, it's Mazda, and following that, Mazda MX-5. That is, and following that is Michelin. If you can't wait and you want to hear the first airing of Michelin Pilot Challenge preview, go to RS2 at eleven. And Jeremy, Shire if you and still I, can't wait, I'm you still can
2: uh, wait till the end of this show and then go to com and download it, or listen on demand, or go to wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Right? Okay. You've been working very hard, <laughs> very hard indeed. Colin Mullen has just tweeted a great picture of a. Potential Chevy Spark G T three. I'm sending that on. Uh Brody says Cadwell is a very welcome and opening place. It's easy to see in and about the storage areas. Most people around the most people have been to the circuit will know they're there. That is true. People can wander around. Uh not at the moment they can't. Why not? Tim, carry on, sorry.
2: Uh Formula One. Hang on. I'm waiting.
5: No, I need more, more build-up. No, it's so just it's not now. that sort
2: of Formula 1 story. Uh, all right, go oh, on. Okay. Uh, Formula well, 1 what? seems to be regressing.
5: Well, isn't the first time. Um, we, why, why, why particularly this time?
2: We have Alonso powered respect. by Renault. We have Schumacher powered by Ferrari. We have Kimi Raikkonen at Sauber. And Jenson Button at Williams.
5: Oh, it's a looping all back to the year 2000, are we? Actually, and before why. started. like no, in 2000, didn't we?
2: No. Or was it 2000? Maybe it was 2000. Don't yeah.
5: Nick all this. Oh no, no, no! Because it gets very hazy those years. Very hazy. Even those I were the it. years that Nick um, was
2: actually there.
5: And but yeah, and they're the ones which I really should remember, isn't You Go, which year was that? Who did that when? I just who knows? Um, yes, Jensen Button back to back to Williams without a contract dispute, shocker. You know, he actually decided to go, and no one tried to stop him. and he didn't undecide to go, and then not decide to go again, which of course he did. When he was um, oscillating around with um, BAR back in the day, but he's now a senior technical advisor. Not just a technical, a senior technical advisor. I'm not quite sure what he's supposed to be technically advising them on, but you know, it's a, I'm sure he'd be a good PR figurehead. But you know, he's already going to be a lot of the race with Sky, so he can be another, another journalist who's not unbiased in their uh, reporting to go with David Coulthard.
1: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> uh huh. Ferrari have been assisting. testing uh, their new driver and some young drivers this week.
5: They have. They've been. They've, they've had a massive run out of Fiorano with the two-year-old car. Uh, they've had Mick Schumacher in the car. They've had Carlos Sainz in the car. They've had Charles Leclerc. They've had Giuliano Alesi in the car. despite the fact he's not staying in the uh, Ferrari young driver program anymore. He's going off to Japan, I believe, to do yes. a couple of things over there. Obviously, his dad gets more racing for every... um, Was it it McLaren F1 he sold? I think he sold something to pay for last year's racing. Was it an an Enzo? He he was moaning how he had to sell stuff to get his his son a driver. I was thinking, well, welcome to the real world. uh, uh, Jean. But now now he doesn't need to sell
2: anymore because... Is it Giuliano? Yes. Giuliano can go to Japan and earn a living racing Hondas.
5: Mm, I don't think he's that good. He seems very average to me.
2: I would say that. As a single seater expert, junior single seater expert, I would say a Lacey very average.
5: Good. Okay.
2: That would be a great Liam Lawson's the one I'm really excited by. Good. Uh, now, someone we're going to be hearing a lot about this weekend, Jan Magnussen, could have stayed in Formula One.
1: Uh, I, I presume. You mean me Kevin, Kevin I do mean
2: Kevin Magnusson. We might hear a lot about but Jan, Jan Magnusson, Magnusson as well. Every time people like Jan me Magnusson. forget who his father was.
5: Jan Magnusson could have stayed in F1 if he'd been a bit more sensible, hadn't smoked so much, had been a bit fitter and more dedicated and hadn't made uh, Jackie Stewart think he wasn't trying very hard. Then he would definitely have stayed in. Wouldn't he have been replaced mid-season by Jos Verstappen all those years ago? And I was there at the time for that one. I remember it. So, um, yeah. So anyway, so uh, yeah, well... Um, I think Kevin alluded to the fact that there were there were other offers available. I'm not so sure, to be honest. I think there was a because you know it all filled up pretty quickly. with Paid drivers and uh, and and that sort of thing. So yeah, he might he might have had a, a conversation with a Sauber or a conversation with a Williams, but I don't think it was a come to anything. I think the fact that you know drivers who were pretty good have been left were almost left without drives or were left without drives. Um, Kind of precludes the fact that he was particularly high on anyone's list considering he has no money to bring to it.
2: Uh, who's been uh, on the Render Quote Rota this week?
5: <laughs> uh, oh, it's a bit of a choice, really. Eddie Jordan started Eddie off, Jordan, David yes. Yes, Jordan and Coulthard and Arturo Mazzario, believe it or not. This is a brilliant one, the Arturo Mazzario one, because only probably about five of us remember who he was. I.e. A bloke who used to buy secondhand lotuses in Williams and had a big hat. Um, but he might get quoted in the Daily Star uh, in, as part of their ongoing trying-to-have-a-go-at-Lewis-Hamilton uh, uh, re- re- um, narrative.
2: Uh, what did uh,
5: Eddie Jordan say?
2: Uh, Eddie Jordan believes the arrival of Sebastian Fettel as Aston Martin may spur on Lance.
5: Oh, I thought we were going to do Eddie Jordan believes that that um, that they that Mercedes shouldn't bother with Lewis because he's not worth the money. I thought we were going to do that one. Cause oh, we'll, he's we'll been all over the next. stupid quotes recently. Um, um uh, I Eddie see Jordan seems
2: to think that Sebastian Vettel going to be faster than Lance Stroll in that car.
5: Well, I'd hope so. There, well, there's a, there, there is well, a, a well-known adage that doesn't always work, but it's, you know, form is temporary, class is permanent. And sometimes, you know, sports people just fall off a cliff and never come back. Um so, you know, I, I think that you know, it's really whether Sebastian can, can go back to where he used to be even a couple of years ago. And if he can, he'll be significantly better than Lance. He wants to be loved, Nick. Sebastian wants to be loved.
1: No, he, do, he's got do, a wife do, and do you see children no, that. Is this the video today? No, no, I do, do the, no. no the no, video I'm, today? I, I, listen, oh, yeah. listen, right. I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic here. He is a racing driver who needs to feel that he is... The B's knees, the one and only, the number one, undisputed, and he wasn't getting that. He was, he hasn't had that for quite some time.
2: He's not going <laughs> to get that as Aston Martin.
1: Oh, he is. He is, because, because if he is good, he will drag them up. And if he's not, with due respect to young Stroll, Stroll will not do anything.
2: This is a team that's finished third or fourth, in the championship consistently, yes, with Lance yeah. Stroll behind the wheel.
5: Lance and... Stroll, no, Lance Stroll is actually. I keep saying this, and people won't listen to me. He's a very good racing driver. He just needs someone to sit him down with a sports psychologist for several weeks and sort his head out. Because anyone who can quali- who can race as well as he can in an F1 car in the wet, and he always shines in the wet, is That's a good very point. good driver. However, he has the bit that we've always said the difference between the good and the great, or even the average and the good, is not in the hands or the feet or the eyes, it's between the ears. And uh, that's where he has problems. And do you know what? You could say exactly the same about Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, well, can I can't make a point about Sebastian Vettel? The video of him today having a seat fitting at Aston Martin is shocking because he appears to have gone bald overnight. <laughs> or has he just had a good haircut? Now he's had a very short haircut, but that's not uh, that's not covering the fact that the, the hair is no longer growing towards the front of his head at ah. all. And I, had, and I was thinking about that. I can't remember many bald F1 drivers recently. I know they, they, they get out of the sport relatively early, but there's, there's plenty of early male pattern baldness. You know, and if you look at oh, oh, historical racing. We've, we've had Denny Holm, obviously a very big bald world champion. Sterling Moss, a great bald, you know, Classically fantastic racer. But how many, you know, top-tastic, bald drivers have we had uh, F1 had recently?
1: So we've had a feature uh, Who Won a Race with Facial Hair. Who won a race with no hair whatsoever?
5: I mean, Lewis it, Hamilton's it, it,
2: receding, is isn't he?
5: Well, Lewis, Lewis Hamilton is, is very fond of his hair. And, and there is an interesting point where I think we all He's noticed this year. a transplant, hasn't he? Well, did we all notice this year that he used to go behind the screen to, uh, to get his hair um, uh, put into whatever particular I won't say ponytail; it wasn't a ponytail. I had, yeah, he, yeah, it was in, it was in uh, various locks. Braids, and they were trying to yeah. braids. And they trying to pull it up, and and yeah, he did that behind the sh- screens. So I, you're probably right that Lewis may well have a thinning issue, uh, but he has managed to hide it well. And I'm sure he when you've got thin- your hair
1: in braids. And speaking of someone who has had their hair in braids, which I suspect I am the only one of the three of us talking now <laughs> who has. Jeez, I would,
5: I'd love to see a picture of that. Oh. Th- <laughs> It'll be
1: around somewhere. If
2: we find um, it, we'll use the cover picture for tonight's episode on the no, website. No, no, you,
1: no, you won't. It's Laura tonight. That, otherwise, it's going to just turn people away from the podcast. The um, When you have your hair in braids, it does make you look like you've got less hair, even if you've got quite thick and luscious hair, which I'm quite happily happy to say that I, I still do. Uh, despite um, over four decades of wearing a helmet for motorcycles and other stuff. I don't
5: stuff. think that does anything. I don't think helmets... I think it's... No, why would a helmet affect anything? Well, look at Dario Franchitti. He
1: yeah. start, He and I, I had long hair, and he and I started growing our hair together some years ago, and he's still got it long, and I've sort of gone back to short again. And we both got, still got... He's got good hair. Uh, Patrick Dempsey... Patrick Dempsey's still got good hair he wears helmet a lot i ride a motorbike a
5: lot you know so my my uh, all right Mar- Mar- not Marquez, last year Mar- but he's got really good hair as well but who you know, has Mar- Marquez has got very good, very hair, good hair obviously he's not riding a motorbike much at the moment but he did a, course, a lot of motorbike riding in, in the previous 25 years of his life yes.
2: not, lots exactly.
1: of uh, top bike sorry i've got off on a tangent hair, i have massively <laughs> got off on a tangent here midweek <laughs> motorsport on tangent not headline shocker really Mm. that really mm. Alexander Orton says the whole collective needs to see a photo of that Hindy I but have got we... a photograph of when I got back from that trip doing an interview with Frank Beeler and Richard Rydell at a BTCC event when I just had the braids taken out and it was my, my hair was down beyond my collar but I think the braids... No, I'm sure the braids were out then. But there is there is a proper codachrome type picture of that and I could almost hear the responsible adult giggling downstairs from the studio here. Um, oh, I, maybe. Uh, I, I have a friend whose wedding I went to in the Dominican Republic when I had my hair like that, that might have some pictures. I'll... I'll see what I could do. I rocked it, by the way, before anybody says. I absolutely rocked it. Um, Ted the Toy Man, as I always do with my hair. Uh, Sebastian's (laughs) new hair is part of his new minimum weight for drivers. (laughs) Very good. Very good. Well, wrestlers do it, don't they? It does make it... I tell you what, in all seriousness... Right, okay, so we've gone off on a massive hair tangent now... Thank you, Nick. What's the off season for? Well, yes, true. Well, Jeremy Shaw is rocking a ponytail at the moment. Looks like a Jedi Knight. Uh, it, it,
5: uh, did, you make... see, did you ever <laughs> see the Mitchell Webb uh, series? No, no, it wasn't. It was, it was Alexander and uh, Alexander and Ben Chaplin. Were, Armstrong. The Armstrong and things Right. They they had They, yeah, they used to have a. Uh, um, I was talking about yeah. They used to have a, a thing about people wearing surprise ponytails. Maybe anyone saw a bloke in a ponytail, they'd throw up.
1: <laughs> well, Jeremy has a fabulous uh, full grey ponytail at the moment. He he looks like a Jedi Knight who could rearrange and reorder and sort out your tri- chakra if they're a mm. bit floopy while you wait. Frankly,
5: hopefully, that's not it's not doing from the from the later. Uh, anyway, let me, sequels because they were a bit wet, 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 weren't they? those
1: ones. I forgot where I was going with that. Now, what were we doing? What were we going to say? Oh yeah, um, hair. The, the hair thing. Very <laughs> seriously, if you let your hair get too long, it does affect how your um, helmet or motorcycle helmet, race helmet or motorcycle helmet fits. Partic- yeah, of course it particularly when you and I always wear a balaclava under a motorcycle helmet, obviously under a race helmet. Um, but I, I, I even. You know this, Nick. I always wear some kind mm. of of balaclava, even under my my uh, re, uh, my uh, motorcycle helmets because we've been, you know, we've been out together. And and if you let your hair get too long, it, it your helmet doesn't fit right. It's not comfortable. So maybe maybe Sebastian's gone down a helmet size. That's all I'm saying. It could be.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Moving on. Uh, we got
2: as far as David Coulthard on rent a quote rotor.
5: Yes, he's also talking about how Lewis Hamilton isn't needed because George because George Russell's done one race that he's been paying £4.30, not £40 million.
2: Mm.
5: <laughs> Which is rich, really, because if ever a man milked teams for way above what his talent actually was, it's David Coulthard. Oh, uh, yes. Mm.
2: This is my year, though.
5: Yes. Well, you know, know, give him his due. He is the complete antithesis of someone like um, Fernando Alonso in that he completely managed his career and maximised everything he could possibly get out of it financially and success-wise. Because he was very, very average.
1: So you're suggesting that Fernando Alonso has made a complete holics and if he'd stayed at the right team and maximise his opportunities. He's have had six or seven world championships by now.
2: Yes.
5: Well, he, he should have won the... Right, he wasn't in McLaren for 2000 and 2008, but he should have won 2007 and 2008. Mm. Um, my guess is he would have then jumped ship somewhere else, and we don't really know, because, but he was, definitely had four. Mm. But he was, unfortunately, not... Um, let's Let's see, not Schumacher-esque in his political dealings with teams, put it that way. All right moving on Michael Schumacher, obviously yes
2: uh, yeah. moving on to the story of a young F1 driver who's become involved with the mafia
5: right have we dropped position? have we dropped through a time space continuum is he going through pre-qualifying as well <laughs> <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> oh, very good very good uh, we, is this we dropped back in the 1970s and 1980s we, we cost, like, uh, there would have been a long list in those days Oh, we've lost
5: Don't him.
2: Do. No, um I think we need to do this to uh All right. illustrate this. Well story.
1: very quickly, Jack Martin says, What week are we currently on the Hamilton contract bet? Well, this is
5: uh this is four, isn't it? We're on four. What you're missing what you're missing here is the PR excuses of why it's not happened. Oh, yes, this and is very this good. This week's PR excuses because Toto had COVID or didn't. Toto tested Toto t- positive for COVID, was asymptomatic, so he had to spend 10 days um, locked up in Kitzbühel or some other Austrian chalet with his family and they couldn't meet up. So, that, oh, that's, hang that's on. this week, lay excuse? So,
1: so, I had to stay away in a ski resort mm, and couldn't nightmare. talk about contracts.
5: For his asymptomatic, well, I'm also very pleased that he's not. He hasn't been, yeah, you know, he's fine. But no, 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 very good, very good. Ah, oh, dear me. So are we? So,
1: so to uh, because lots of people are tweeting and asking your about this. So is this a matter of time, or has Lewis really lost the hunger for Formula
5: One? I think this is a situation. This is my reading of the the situation where Lewis has made a selection of requests. If you put it politely, mm-hmm. or demands, if you're the Daily Mail, <laughs> and he isn't prepared He's seven to times optimize. world champion. He's allowed he's to demand. You, you do, I, I'm happy to raise for you if you do this. If you don't do this, I'll go and do social justice warrior, you know, um, clothes design, and everything Fashion else. Fashionista, rap star. And so he's he's, he's in quite a hardcore limits. fitness
2: regime this week for someone who is planning to be a clothes designer.
5: Because you keep your options open.
1: Tim, Tim, the world of fashion is cutthroat, mate. If you can't also, move fast, you've got to be. Fixed. Also,
5: a lot of these don't forget a lot of these, these racing drivers actually really love their fitness regime. Yes, even though it seems it's awful to us, they It's because it's so ingrained in their psyche; it's what they want to do. So yeah. you know, I that's why I, this is why are we is. are I we forget. in the same sort
1: of area as as Nigel Mansell? Leaving Williams because they wouldn't give him a Renault Espace for his
5: family car. I don't think it's quite that bad. Because no, that is he true. To... No, he left Williams. He didn't want to be that Alan Prost again. That's where <laughs> he left Williams. But... Um... The thing, about, the thing to remember is, is that this whole thing about Mercedes not being able to pay money because they've laid Nonsense. people off. Mercedes now owns one third of the company. Mm. It's two thirds owned by other people. Toto Wolff, who is not short of one or two, and Britain's second richest man or third richest man, Jim Ratcliffe, and Ineos, who are who could find 40 million quid, which isn't actually what he's asking for, but could find 40 million quid on the back of a sofa if they wanted to. Well, he could just so stop doing America's
1: about, cup, couldn't he?
5: It's not about the money. And I don't think even what Lewis hasn't even asked for money. It's, it's all about sort of a combination of profit share. It's about. Yeah, it's yeah about, I was going to ask about I that. I did hear, hear a rumour that Lewis, as part of his, his
1: contract, was asking for profit share. Now, that might shock a lot of people, including our listeners, who
5: think profit share in Formula One, they don't make any money. But Mm-mm. you do now. You do now. So just and before everyone goes, oh, that's really greedy. Well, just think no, of it like no, no, film no.
1: stars who yeah. get a percentage of the take. It's the Star Wars question, isn't the same it? Same thing.
5: Yeah. Do you want <laughs> he, to take? Do you want to take asking. something big up front, or do you want to take half a percent of the back end? That's it. And he's not asking for as much. And he's basically the point. This whole thing is uh, is wrongly reported. He's actually asking for less money as a So That's true. Is that things. what you're hearing? Yes. Wow. A bit. You know, it's it's well. well I think I'm hearing. I've had comments. I've had. Another another conversation brought to my mind where some of them say this he thinks it's not going to happen, but that I still think they want to make it happen. But anything that says that anybody you read where someone says Mercedes can't sign him, can't pay him that much because of their making redundancies in Germany is rubbish because A, he's not asking for a lot anymore in his basic and B, they're only about a third of the company now.
1: All right. Uh, Simon Hoff has tweeted, I to to you, Tim, and I've learned tonight why I didn't make the grade as an F1 racing driver. I clearly have too much hair on my head. See, mm-hmm. Alonso, too much hair. Couldn't get mm-hmm. past two championships. Tim, time for one more story.
4: Because we, we haven't to finished
2: the finished story that we were on, uh, right. which is about the young Formula One driver who's got uh, himself mixed up with the Mafia.
5: Oh, like, it's go- the Robert De Niro film, isn't it?
2: It is a Robert De Niro film. It's called The Formula, and it also stars John Boyega.
1: Oh, really? Uh, from Star Wars?
2: Yes. From
5: Star Wars? Yeah.
2: He's not being typecast, so, yeah, so in she- your mind.
5: <laughs> <laughs> what? That, and he's moaning about that as well, isn't he? John Boyega had a right moan about this, saying that being in being in a franchise film is like an expensive prison. And I sit there going, "Do you have any sympathy for you, John Boyega?" No. no.
1: <laughs> he's always he's always going to be the rebellion stormtrooper, as far as I'm Finn. concerned. Yeah, yeah, Finn, absolutely. Uh, he
2: also uh, has started Steve McQueen's uh, film series Small Axe and is currently filming uh, They Closed Tyrone, uh, sorry, They Cloned Tyrone, with Jamie Fox.
0: Okay.
2: What? Uh, Robert De Niro, uh, of course, was uh, made famous uh, for a number <laughs> <Made> of Oscar-winning <laughs> winning films, including I don't uh, think we to, to, Michael Mann's to 1995 uh, Crime Saga, The Heat, and is currently advertising Cars.
1: I don't think we need to establish Robert De Niro's film credentials. Yeah, you didn't answer got, my question, care. by the way. Oh, what was a Finn's Stormtrooper number? i lot of experience. He's been a taxi driver. What? What? What is Finn's Stormtrooper number? I don't know. Well, FN was Finn. So I'll give you that. What was his number? Was it 2180? T- one one eight eight oh? No. 2187. Oh, no. I was going to check them, Come so. on, guys, you're not trying. All right, no, we've I, barely got I time for this. I haven't watched the Star Wars, Wars film now.
2: since Return of the Jedi, so I have right, no idea. We,
1: we've got a lot to fit in tonight because Paul Tarsi and the team are coming up with historic racing news. After that, Mazda MX5, and starting in 10 seconds on RS2, I've got to go and do the mission pilot challenge. So, very quickly, finish this.
2: No, you haven't. You've got an hour before you do that.
0: Uh,
1: right, okay. Go on, you fire a up.
2: Break. Uh, so uh, the film uh, is about a young Formula one driver who gets involved with the mass, uh, Mafia and has to be a getaway driver uh, to avoid his family being killed.
1: Is it in any way based on fact?
2: It's a film. Uh, it's right, directed so by much Gerard the, McMurray.
1: So much the, much, much the same as Le Mans 66 uh, and Lauda uh, versus Hunt. Yeah, and all of that. So just pure fiction then. Excellent. Well done.
2: Yeah.
1: And when is it available?
2: Well, it's not been started filming yet, so coming soon.
1: All right, coming soon. All right, shall we hand over the airwaves to Paul Tarsi and his guests?
2: Yes. Uh, We didn't have time to do any GP news.
1: Ah, uh, we'll do it next week. Indeed. Double Qatar, Double
5: Qatar. Like yes, posture.
1: double Qatar. Double we'll talk all <laughs> about that uh, next week. Uh, RS2, com. all of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship sessions are live, and, of course, the race is live in sound and vision across the weekend. Michelin Pilot Challenge as well. com Schedule is on there. Thanks to Nick, to share to Tim, and particularly... To Laura uh, Wontrop-Clauser, who was spectacular tonight. And clearly you all think she is the right person for the job. Yeah, we'll be all right. We'll be all right with Laura and we'll have her on again in the next few weeks. All right, stay tuned to RS1 for Historic Racing News 2021. Paul Tarsi, Paul Judd and Jim Roller tonight as well.